Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 47 of Her Story. This is your host, Cassidy Reed. And today, my guest is Jody Blackshaw. Jody is a composer, educator, and creator of colorfulmusic.com. In this episode, Jody and I discuss representation and diversity in composition, wind band literature, resources for educators, and promoting student led creativity through composition in the classroom. So please make sure you like and share this episode with your friends. Make sure you're also checking out our website, following us on social media. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, please send your bio to musicherstorypod at gmail.com. Thanks and see you next Monday. My name is Jody Blackshaw. I'm a composer and a music educator, and I live in the state of Victoria in Australia. Awesome. And yes, we have a time difference right now. It's currently 7 p.m. on a Sunday here, and it's 11 a.m. ish on a Monday where you are. So that's kind it of funny. It certainly is. Yes, I'm in the future. Yes, that's right. Yes, you're in the future. <laughs> How is the future? The future is lovely. It's a beautiful sunny there. day. Yes, it's gorgeous. We're a month apart. It's March over there and I'm still in February. Oh, look at that. Yeah, look, it's already March. It's autumn. Well, you know, we call it autumn. We've changed season into autumn today. Yeah. So oh, and that's, that's always so weird for me to think about too, that you're all in different seasons too. Mm. It's just so crazy. Oh, it's so funny. Um, <laughs> I want to just start off by getting a little bit of an idea of where you're coming from and what your background in music is, especially since the two of us happen to be from different countries. So we probably had somewhat different music experiences. So what got you started in music in the first place growing up? Uh, I think there was always music playing in the house. My my dad was um, a, a huge fan of music, and that came from my grandmother. So I'm a third education, uh, third generation educator. My grandma um, was a, a huge choral director. She was very very well known for her choirs in um, in a primary school setting, and my dad was also a primary school educator, and. Uh, and but he also just had a very strong love of classical music and of jazz. Mm -hmm. So we, we had, you know, a, a good variety of different music playing in the house all the time. There was always music playing. Uh, and I think that's kind of, you know, where my interest peaked in it. But then it wasn't until I was about uh, five years old, I think, and I started playing, uh, you know, the organ, you know, the two-tiered organ with pedals um, <laughs> that have, have all the different analogue analog um, uh, switches and toggles on them. Uh, that was my first instrument. And I wow. had a really, really great teacher who would come to my house. And, um, and she was one of those really fun music tutors who had pizza nights and, um, you know, picnics on Sundays and you go for hay rides and, and, and those kind of things. So um, I think my introduction to music was that you know, it was uh, through a teacher that I loved. I don't know if I really liked the music side of it that much, but I really <laughs> loved my teacher. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah. And then, like, in Australia, we don't um, teach music through a band program. Like, that's not what you do at school. Well, for, for the most part, that's not what you do at school, at least not in the state of New South Wales where I grew up. Um, uh, you do what you call general music is what we have in our classrooms. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, for me to be able to play in a band, we, I grew up in a little town called Griffith in New South Wales, about 20,000 people. And something that a lot of um, American people don't understand is that Australia has a population of about 26 million mm -hmm. and the US has a population of about 320-something million. Yeah. And uh, we have about the same land mass. The land is, is about the same size. So mm -hmm. when I say that I grew up in a country town of 20,000 people, the next closest centre to us is a two-hour drive away. Wow. Uh, you know, so you don't have anything nearby. You don't have anything like that. And, uh, and that, that was a slightly larger town. And then, but the closest city was, Melbourne was probably our closest city and that was a five-hour drive away. Wow. So, um, so anyway, a local mathematics teacher 
um, who had played a bit of music and been introduced to a bit of music and he played the cornet in a brass band. He sort of uh, dug around in his school's music resources and gave them to the students in his maths class <laughs> and he and that was the beginnings of uh, a town youth band um, and then a couple of years later I, I sort of joined that band and that was my introduction to playing in band. That's so, so weird well, that's just strange yeah. to me just being an American because we're all like large ensembles here mm-hmm. like we got our big orchestras choirs band mm-hmm. we all start in like fourth to sixth grade somewhere in there and um, from the get-go it's always like big groups so that's so crazy to think about and good for that guy I mean math teacher and then he starts his own like community band that's amazing yeah really amazing his name was Gary Bell and he um yeah he really he really enabled a lot of people to bring music into their lives and a lot of people from that time Mm -hmm. still have music in their lives in one way or another and if and I always think if we hadn't have had that uh, would I even be who I am today? I don't think so. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. And so you played clarinet in that group, right? Yeah, my first instrument was the tenor horn. I tried oh. a bit of brass first and, yeah, no, failed miserably. So um, <laughs> and then, you know, it's that classic kind of thing. My best friend played clarinet, so I played clarinet too. And yeah. then it kind of stuck. And yeah. um And then uh, when I was in my final two years of high school, so we have a really intense music study program for your final two years of high school. So um, you you study history, like so you study musicology, you do all this oral skills development, you do a whole bunch of theory, as well as having to present a a series of performances and do a composition. So I had mini college already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mini college. That's really what it is. Yeah. So I had... um, I had to do three performances. I did two on clarinet, one on saxophone, and then I wrote a composition. It was actually my first ever composition for band. But I didn't have a clarinet teacher or a classical saxophone teacher where I lived. He lived in Sydney, which was a good seven-hour drive away. So this is back in the 80s. So I would play um, how I was going with my pieces onto a cassette tape and I would send it to him. And then he would listen to it and he would write notes and send me a package back. And that would be about a two week turnaround. And so um, that's how I was, you know, really old school distance education. Yeah. And I mean, (laughs) now uh, we're just talking on Zoom and it's just so great. I know it's crazy. Uh, And then uh, there was no class to study year 11 and 12 music either. So in the state of New South Wales, there is what they call a distance education centre. And you can do certain subjects by correspondence. So if a school doesn't have enough students to fill a class, but there's students who still want to study that subject, then they can do it by correspondence. So I actually studied music by correspondence, the the whole classroom course, as well as my clarinet lessons were also by distance. So you could say I was pretty determined to keep music in my life. Yeah, that's amazing. And so you had this sort of precursor sort of course. It, it is like a mini college program, essentially. It's mm. preparing you for that. I wish we had more something like that more in the U.S., honestly, mm. because I think that's something like we stress, you know, ensemble performance a lot with kids in K-12, but the oral skills, the theory, the history, that's often something that you kind of have to pursue on your own as a student. Yeah. And it's something that only you know, schools that have the funding to have like a theory course or something Mm. that the kids Um. actually get that experience. Right. So that is something that's, you know, very different, but I'm really glad that you had that experience and that you were able to go through that and, you know, write your own composition and that sort of thing. So Mm. was that experience the reason why you chose to major in composition or was it something else? Oh, no, it was very much that experience. I was very lucky that a new music teacher who was a fresh graduate, his name was Noel Annett, and he came to Griffith um, as a a first-year-out teacher when I was in Year 12. Mm -hmm. And um, he had been, um, I had a strong interest in composition himself. So he really helped me with my my composition project. in that year and I, I, I really liked it. I think 
when I look back on it now, because I've just done my PhD and I had to sort of study why I have become the composer I have, I really learned that I have been composing music for a long time and, and it started on the organ and has progressed from there. So whilst I sort of used to always think that writing this piece for band in year 12 was my first real composition, it really wasn't. Uh, I'd been dabbling with all sorts of things and uh, bless my mother, she still has all my high school notes in a cupboard at home. I don't Aww. know why, she just does, but bless her. And when I look through them, I found pieces of manuscript with little, you know, etchings and drawings and things all through my English notes and, and, and that kind of thing. So I thought, no, I was really thinking like a composer for, for a lot longer than I, than I thought. Um, and then when I was doing all my interviews to go to university, I met a composer by the name of Larry Sitsky at the uh, uh, Canberra School of Music, which is now the Australian National University School of Music. And the moment I met him, I knew that I wanted to study with him and I wanted to do that course. Yeah. And because uh, I had my, you know, I had an iron in the fire to go and do a music education degree and I could have done that or done this Bachelor of Music in Composition. And I think it really shocked the socks off my parents when I decided to go and do composition and not music <laughs> education. So, yeah. That's awesome. But you did complete the degree in composition and then you, you know, later on, went and did your postgraduate teaching qualifications and that yes. sort of thing. So can you talk a little bit about your experience at the collegiate level, studying, getting that degree in composition, and then also achieving your goals to become an educator as well? Yeah, well, there, was a, there was a bit of a gap. Uh, I mean, I was a, I was a very strong electroacoustic uh, composer in my undergraduate years. I had a strong love of theatre. I didn't write for band as an undergraduate. It just, there wasn't one to write mm -hmm. for. Yeah. Um, there's, not, there's not a lot of bands in universities in Australia. It's, it's a very, very different model. So uh, I was writing a lot for chamber groups. I wrote theatre works. I wrote very outrageous avant-garde music. Uh, and there was a strong electroacoustic component as well. So I sort of left that degree uh, and didn't really know what I was going to do and but I always knew that I wanted to go back and teach in the country because I had grown up in the country and didn't have a lot of uh, teachers around me and I wanted to offer something to children who lived in remote areas it's something I'm still very passionate about so I went and lived in this town in the middle of nowhere where they had a job for a, a, a clarinet saxophone kind of person but it wasn't really a job it was just like we'd really love someone to come and move here and teach this so I was actually on unemployment benefits from the government when I arrived because I was earning no money mm -hmm. and I started with three students and by the time I ended I can't remember now it was over 200 students that I had and I was traveling to six different towns so that equated to about 600 miles a week of travel uh, to go and teach all of these different students. And I built ensembles and I did all sorts of things. But that experience, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. We all make lots and lots of mistakes and we learn through making those mistakes. And I made a lot of mistakes in, in those years, but country people were very forgiving because I was so generous with my time. You know, I just lived and breathed for my students. And, uh, you know, it was a really, really great experience. And I, I came out of that uh, and I saw people, I'd been there for a few years, and then I saw people who had actually done the music education degree. Uh, they were getting these really good classroom jobs mm -hmm. and, and earning much better money than what I was. And I thought I, I need to do something about this. So um, I moved to Sydney. I initially started a master's in composition, but that didn't work because I wanted to write music for children. Mm. I kind of knew really, really early that I had this real passion to write music for children and uh, a really avant-garde composition department didn't want somebody in their department who was going to write music for children. It just wasn't congruent with, ah. with what they wanted. So, um, and then my dad got cancer and everything, so I ended up just leaving the Masters. Uh, I didn't finish it. And it was a couple of years later where I was running a big band program in a school in the south of Sydney and the principal really 
she really loved what I was doing. She loved my approach. She loved my, she saw a lot of potential and she said, I really want you in the classroom, but I wasn't allowed to teach in a classroom unless I had that um, proper qualification, like that postgraduate qualification. So once again, I went back to correspondence school (laughs) (laughs) and I was actually studying by correspondence to get my teacher's degree whilst I was teaching. Yeah. So yeah. I was, it was a big job. It was a, a really big time, but it was around that same time that I discovered the offshore work pedagogy mm-hmm. and then everything just, just exploded from there. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I'm not, I'm not a general music person. I'm more of a mm-hmm. band person, but I did have to, when I was, when I was studying my undergraduate degree, which is in music ed, I did study, you know, obviously all the different sorts of philosophies around general music and the ORF method really spoke to me as well. Um, I really loved the compositional creativity to it and that sort of thing. And I love that we were getting kids on instruments so early and working with that sort of thing. And I just really love the collaborative sort of sense that it brought to the classroom, which when I read about you describing your music in your bio on your website, I can kind of see that sort of reflecting as well, those philosophies that you learned when you were studying and how that is reflecting in your music and you had wrote in here I'm just going to read this from your website because I couldn't explain (laughs) it any better myself when you're talking about your music you said it was during uh, educational studies that the question was posed as a teacher what do you want to achieve for some time I did not know the answer but after a while it became apparent upon reflection I realized that I was sincerely concerned about my students, about their welfare, about their personal growth and the pathways they chose. So I decided that as a teacher, my ultimate goal was to foster self-esteem and love of self through music. And I love that. Oh, that just like spoke to me like my teacher heart was like exploding. (laughs) I love that. And what I also love about you and your compositions is that you are realistic with the environment that teachers have to teach in and the Mm. opportunities that students need when they are performing a piece of music. You give students the opportunity to make creative decisions and that sort of thing with your compositional material while also, you know, allowing the kids to learn more on their instrument. And so I really love that. And it's, and it's kind of unfortunate that you know, some master's programs aren't super encouraging of people that want to write for younger people (laughs) to be a part of that because there is those, that's the major market for composition right now is writing for school ensembles, you know, know, wherever it is in the world. And so I think that is kind of unfortunate, Um, but I do think you come from the unique opportunity of, you know, in one hand, you have your composition experience and the other hand, you have your educator experience. And I think that just makes for this amazing morph of creativity Mm -hmm. and artistry um, that you do bring to your composition. So I just wanted to say that I was just like reading your bio and I was like, oh yes, I love it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I I really want as, as well as really fostering self-esteem through music, I don't want students to be, I don't want my students to walk away feeling frightened of mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. I, I really want them to, you know, my, the story I used to tell is, say I've got this boy and I only teach him for grades seven and eight. Mm-hmm. Say that's all I've got him for. And say we're talking about Australia and it's classroom music and I see him three times a fortnight for two years. And that's, that's the only music education apart from the little bit he might get in elementary school, but even in Australia, that's dwindling. That's another story. So let's say that that's the only music education he's ever going to get. What's important? What's important right now? Is him knowing what a treble clef important? No, that's not important. Is him knowing how to read key signatures important? No, that's not important. Mm -hmm. You know, what do I want him to walk away with? And I thought I want him to walk away with a real appreciation of artistry in music. I'd love him to think that Stevie Wonder is worth listening to because, you know, it's got great harmonic progressions. He's got great melodies. The musicians are top notch and it's something to really be appreciated. I'd love it if this same boy met a girl who was a music major during his university years and she's performing in in a concert with her orchestra And he's not afraid to go and hear that orchestra and is able to have some kind of intelligent conversation musically with with that girl. 
you know, <laughs> and that, that he's not afraid of that. And yeah. uh, that's what I decided was going to be my, my, my goal, my takeaway. Uh, that, that's what I really wanted, wanted them to have, you know, yeah. a, a lifelong fascination with, with music ra- rather than just it's something that's on in the background and they don't even have an opinion on it, don't even think about it, don't even hear it, can't even hear it. Yeah. So that's, that's what I really found was, was what was important. Yeah, I completely agree. And as a composer as well, you are very much a proponent and you're very much an advocate for women band composers. Mm-hmm. Um, and on your website, and I, and I will definitely make sure I include a link to your website when I release this episode so everybody can go check this out. You have this awesome resource on your website that features works um, written for grades one through four for wind band. You have a whole catalog of like a whole list of a bunch Mm. of compositions written by women composers all over the world. So not just American, not just Australian, Mm. they're all over the world, all different levels, Um, links to the compositions and the composers. It's an excellent resource. You also have a composer spotlight that you do where you Mm -hmm. have a a composer that you choose to kind of feature on your website as well. And right now there's a composer, Grace, and she was born in 1995. So you're also promoting young women in the field as well, because as we talked about before we started recording, that visibility is a major issue, especially for women Mm. composers in this profession. I think that's excellent. Can you talk a little bit about what sparked you to create um, this resource and how important it is that women composers have this visibility and this representation in the field. It was uh, uh, four years ago. Uh, there was a couple of things that really triggered it. Four years ago, uh, a very prominent American composer was out here in Australia and I was hanging out with him. And he made a comment to me and said, I think, I think you're amazing. I think what you're doing is absolutely incredible. Uh, he said, because I know a number of directors who will not even pick up a piece of music if it's by a woman like they just they just won't even touch it they they won't even they won't even look at it and I it was the first time I had ever thought you mean somebody just won't play my music because I'm a woman yeah what's that about (laughs) you know um what you won't play my music because I have green eyes you won't play my music because I'm blonde you know um uh and I I, I thought, wow, I didn't know that that was possible. Uh, and, you know, it, it had been tough trying to carve out a, a, a career in this industry. Uh, it's tough anyway. It, I don't think it matters <laughs> who you are. It's tough anyway. But um, the fact that I had this other extra thing working against me was not something I had considered. And then uh, that same year I was because I try and keep on top of what's going going on and I was looking at what presentations and concerts were happening at the National CBDNA conference that year. And I noticed that was the year that Jennifer Jolie's um, The Eyes of the World Are Upon You was premiered by Jerry Junkin. Yeah. And uh, that was the only work played uh, by a female composer. And yet there was this whole panel discussion about oh, we should be playing more works by, by women. And I think Jen might have been on the panel. I'm not sure if she was, but it was basically all men <laughs> talking about, oh, we should play more works by women. And then no other concerts featured any works by women. Just one concert had one work by a woman <laughs> on it. And I thought, oh, yes, let's all make ourselves feel a lot better by talking about it but yep. not actually doing anything about it. Yep. So um, I, I, you know, went on a bit of a Facebook rant like we do uh, <laughs> about how, how I was just disgusted by this and, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then what I didn't realise, like I didn't think it went anywhere. I'm just sitting here in my little house in the middle of nowhere in, you know, Victoria, Australia. Mm-hmm. And then um, a gorgeous director by the name of Margie Underwood, who's in North Carolina, she wrote me this incredible message a few weeks later and told me that I'd really ruffled a lot of feathers at that CBDNA and that I'd made a lot of people feel very uncomfortable and a lot of people were talking about that Facebook post Mm. of 
you know, uh, and I thought, oh, okay, that's really interesting. And she, as a female band director, said this was my aha moment. This was my wake-up moment. This was my, you know, I tell the women in my ensembles to be strong and I talk about being strong, but here I am and I'm not even programming works by women in my own ensemble. What am I doing? Um, So, and it was around that same time, this was all in the first six months of 2017, that I'd started to see a few lists appear around the place um, but, you know, they, they'd mention a composer and a name of a work and then I'd go on an internet search to try and find it and 45 minutes later I'm still looking. Yeah. And that's just, that's just one piece. Yeah. And I thought this, we've got about 10 seconds to capture the band director and they need to see the piece, they need to hear the piece and they need to know where to buy the piece all within that 10 seconds. And it has to be at their fingertips and it has to be easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I tried to work out what the best plan, plan ahead was. So, you know, I, I, I had a few works and I wrote to a few composers and asked them if I could include them and um, they were all very happy for me to include them. And then I went, went and really did some digging and, I, you know, I would spend sometimes just once I, once I got to about half an hour on a website and I still couldn't find the piece that had been listed in one of these other resources, I went, right, I need to write to the composer. Um, and a lot of the time uh, these women composers would send me their scores and, you know, us who work in the, in the band world, we know all the cultural norms that go with bands and grades and, and what band directors are looking for. But if you're entering it from the outside, it's a lot to know. So I've actually mentored a lot of these women composers to say, look, you've got about what we call a, you know, a grade five euphonium and horn part there, but you've got about a grade one trombone part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got, you know, you've got about a grade three clarinet part. Uh, people aren't going to play that. They're, they're, you know, there's very few people who will pick that up and play that. Uh, what we need to do is to either make all these other parts more difficult or make all these other parts, you know, a bit more simplified or do a couple of versions of it. And, you know, it's been hours and hours and hours of communicating with composers, some of them who didn't speak English and I was using Google Translate to, you know, try and email back and forth uh, to be able to feature their works and uh, to be able to feature them respectfully. So uh, it's, it's, it's not... It's about 120 works, I think, that's on there at the moment. But I stand by every single work that's on there. And I think if you don't walk away after, you know, spending a bit of time on that page thinking, wow, women are are writing and contributing a really important voice to our genre, I'm really excited about this. You know, then I owe you a cup of coffee if you don't walk away and think that because... That's, that's mm-hmm. what I, I hear all the time from people when they say they've spent some time there. Yeah, and you brought up a, a few good points. You know, one being that a lot of people talk about how there's a lack of representation and composition in those things, but then they don't act upon it, right? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you also talked about how it's so hard sometimes to find these pieces. And I completely mm. agree with you as a as a band director myself, and as a person that is actively trying to make my repertoire and my school more diverse, it is so hard <laughs> yeah. to find some work sometimes. I yeah. know of a few women composers that I could research and those sorts of things, but sometimes just trying to find a piece that works for the level of my ensemble and things like that is so hard. So that's why I'm so glad that you have this resource for folks. So everybody should be checking this out because it's amazing and it's so easy to check out the music, check out the composer, see what you mm. like. You even have the contact information that you can email the composer if you want to, which I just love because it makes it so much yeah. more personable as well. Um, well, yeah, and if you like, if you can't find how to buy the piece or or, or something like that, or if you want to collaborate with the composer, then I think it's important to sort of show that these people are ac- accessible. And uh, you know, I think I think it's really important for us to to do that. Yeah, I think so as well. And so if you're a person who's listening right now and you are looking at the list and you know of someone who should be on the list or a mm. work that should be on the list, you there is a submission box right underneath um, where you is. can submit someone as well. Um, mm-hmm. So help contribute 
to yes. the list as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm really proud. I learned just recently that um, the Midwest Clinic are doing all sorts of fantastic things to really try and diversify the performances we hear at that very important conference. And uh, they, when they, when performers are selected, when bands are selected to perform and orchestras, they send a series of links to encourage them to go even beyond now the one work by a diverse composer that they have to perform. They're actually really encouraging them to make their programs as colourful as possible. And uh, I'm very proud of the fact that that female band composers database is actually listed as one of the resources for those performance groups to use. So yeah. uh, that, that should show a real, a real endorsement for, 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 for that resource. Yeah. And you also provided a link to colourful <laughs> music as yeah. well that's also on your website so can you talk a little bit about this sort of I like to call it a program because it just has so many resources mm. as well um, for providing more diversity in composition and in programming so can you talk a little bit about um, colorful music <laughs> yeah so colorful music is uh, spelt with a u that's the Australian way we spell color c-o-l-o-u-r putting the u <laughs> in colorful <laughs> um, colorful is uh, was well I saw you know we have this fantastic Institute of Composer Diversity database and I'd put out another list and there are a few other lists around and that kind of thing and what I wanted to show was that I wanted to make sure that we were integrating these works by diverse composers and not segregating. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to try and do something that um, showed that we don't need to have these tokenism concepts of all composers of colour or all LGBTQIA composers or all composers from, you know, the Asian precinct or, you know, all women composers, that we don't have to do that, that these composers, these composers and their pieces are just as good as everything else that you perform and can stand alongside some of the standards. You know, they, they can be programmed effectively and easily alongside everything else in, in a real desire to make it inclusive as much as yeah. possible. So uh, knowing how our industry works and that we love our leaders and that we carefully respect and look to our leaders for guidance. I wrote to some leaders in the field, uh, including Jerry Junkin, Kevin Setatole, and John Lynch, and uh, about doing a presentation at um, Midwest Clinic called Diverse Directors for Diversity. And this was really looking at works by women, and I wanted them to create a concert program in that grade one to four range that featured works by women, but had them alongside other pieces as well. Mm. And uh, I was very grateful that Mary Kay Schneider from East Michigan, she came in and she brought her band over and uh, she also contributed a program. So then I reached out to some other directors such as Gillian McKay in Canada and um, uh, Tim Rainish in England and, you know, uh, an assortment of others and had them also contribute some of their programs so there's a whole range of programs there for middle school and high school and um, professional level ensembles and you don't have to the, the thing is that I'm not telling you what to program but I'm not saying what it is but if in, for example on my page if you go to the colorful music page you can look by the different people who've put them in I did a, a series of six different themes so they're not necessarily carefully laid out for an actual program of music but you've got if you wanted to do something like traveling around the world was your theme or dance music was your theme or telling a story was your theme there's a range of different pieces there that you could use mm -hmm. uh, and and thereby uh, diverse composers but I've also got some pretty standards in there like one of them is elements so I was looking at wind and air and you know water and earth and so I have air for band the Ericsson in there because it's it's a standard it's one that everybody knows and trusts but it's going to stand up in a program perhaps right next to my piece whirlwind you know yeah uh, and uh, these, these, uh, these, this kind of approach to programming is very possible. So from there, I asked band directors to take a pledge to actually make a promise to themselves that they were going to try and include more works by diverse composers in, in 
what they do. And so far to date, we've got about, I think it's around 1,100 directors have taken the pledge. Uh, and when you think if 1,100 directors all see 100 students each, it's, you know, even if it's, if it's that, and they probably see a lot more than that, um, that's 11,000 students who are now more aware of the fact that uh, composers come in all different shapes and sizes than perhaps they would have a couple of years ago. So, you know, I, I think there, there's still a, a lot of work to do. So not 11,000, it'd be 110,000, wouldn't it? Gosh, it would be 110,000, not 11,000. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, but yeah, so that's, that's what Colourful is about. And I've just actually reached out to my Colourful community and asked for people to help because I can only take it so far because there are only so many hours in the day. Yeah. And I um, hope to see that on the Facebook group, that once you take the pledge, you can join the Facebook group. And uh, what we really hope to see is that um, for those pledge makers that will start getting giving reviews of new works, have more programs put on there, and uh, actually start having a, a, making it just that little bit more active in terms of sharing, sharing repertoire, sharing discoveries and uh, making it more topical. Yeah. I love all of that. And I completely support that mission as well. And also that collaborative piece. I think music is a small world, but it is also a very large world and having the ability to connect with others and share resources and ideas and that sort of thing, especially with a topic like diversifying your repertoire um, and creating a more inclusive space for all your students is such an important thing. So I'm really glad mm. that you have that resource that you're providing everybody. So everybody mm. should go check that out. Um, another <laughs> section of your uh, your website that you have that I, I find awesome as well is this be the change <laughs> sort of section to your website. And I just love this little thing because you got little interactive buttons that like... <laughs> <laughs> that kind of um, talk about creative music making in the classroom. And you talk about this idea of getting off the podium and this, this, yeah, this creative music making lesson. So can you talk a little bit about your sort of mantra with this creative music making lesson? Um, what is it about? Like, why are you passionate about this idea and where can people find some resources to help them um, create more creativity, create more creativity in their classroom. Yeah. Be more creative. <laughs> yes. Yes. Look, it, 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 it originally stemmed from those days out in Daniloquin, when I, which I was talking about after my undergrad and I went and taught so many students and I was doing a lot of one-to-one -one teaching. In those, I, I collected a couple of hundred compositions by students uh, in those days and I really got into the heads of how kids think, but I also really learned how much they love to create you know, step, step forward 10 years and then I learned the offshore work approach and started using that in my classrooms and saw this explosion of energy and fascination and just a, an incredible increase in the depth of learning by doing it creatively and doing it through exploration. And then from there, uh, I just... I guess I just had it infiltrate uh, the bands that I was doing. I've been a band director as well. And I started bringing a lot of those elements into my own band rehearsals. And then when I was doing my PhD, I did a whole bunch of study into um, different educational philosophies and into neuroscience and its application to education. And I really found this whole uh, evidence behind something that I had experienced firsthand. And that is how we as a species, you know, humans are a species, how we as a species actually learn stuff. And how we learn stuff is by basically grabbing something, playing around with it, seeing how it doesn't work, see how it does work, and then getting better at it. Mm -hmm. And then adding layers to that. That's how we learn. And uh, so... When, you're when I'm talking about that whole get off the podium thing, I think uh, from definitely from a neuroscience point of view, but also from the point of view of Arthur North Whitehead, who was, a, he was actually a mathematician and a scientist, but he wrote these great essays called The Aims of Education in 1929. And in these, he talked about the fact that there are three kind of main tiers um, to excellent education. And one is skill set. 
Yes, we have to teach skill set. Yes, that's absolutely vital and important, but it has to be equally measured by context. In other words, we need to contextualise what we're teaching those skills in to make it something relevant to the child's life. So if you're teaching them to, to cook then and you want them to cook biscuits, then maybe they can bring in the recipe of biscuits that they've made with grandma. And they can come in and they can cook those in class. That's contextualising something. And so then you might get a, a student who has Greek heritage and he, he brings in his grandmother's Greek, you know, almond crescent moon biscuits or something, you know, and we, we, you, you celebrate all of these different parts and the child then takes that learning that they've got in the, in the classroom and they take it back home again. Mm. And then on top of that, we need romance and I love this word that uh, Whitehead uses of romance and romance is when you get to romance something you we're actually using it as a verb here uh, you actually get to play around with it you get to delight in it jump up and down jump in muddy puddles is kind of how <laughs> I think of it <laughs> and you get to really play you get really dirty you think gee that wasn't a good idea but maybe I can do it a bit I can do it differently next time. And so we need to give children an equal array of play and romance as well as contextualization along with skill set development. And, and the neuroscience behind this backs up the exact same thing. They say the exact same thing just in fancy words, you know, but they're basically saying the exact same thing that these are, this is the optimal learning environment for our students. The other thing that neuroscientists talk about is having the optimal emotional climate in our classrooms. We need to make students feel safe. We need to have the adrenaline down in students if they are going to be open to learning something new. Yeah. They won't learn anything new if they are in a flight mode and they feel like they're ready to run. They'll just close down. So it's really important that we keep things safe and, and we keep them safe by enabling them to learn, to contextualise their learning and romanticise their learning. That's where that safety lives. So I think it's really important. I talk about getting off the podium and enabling children to, you know, do exactly that, develop their skill set. Yes, of course, you've got to teach clarinets how to put the thumb on the back and the first finger at the front. You've got to show them how to seal the hole. You've got to show them how to have a good embouchure, how to look after their reeds. Absolutely. In fact, I would down, you know, hands down say that band directors are the best educators in the world of teaching skill set that exist. You know, no one teaches skill set better than band directors. Mm -hmm. um, they are absolutely brilliant at it. All I'm saying with the get off the podium and the be the change sort of campaign is let's bring in a bit of context. Let's bring in a bit of romance and watch your program exponentially explode. Yeah. So, uh, and so from there, you're asking about what resources, you know, people can use to do that. I've yeah. just released a whole series called Teaching Performance Through Composition. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is that series that really enables you to, to explore music through a compositional process, through a creative process, but you can actually do that in the context of your whole ensemble. So you collaboratively create with the materials that I give you. Mm -hmm. So I, I will give you a simple melody. I might, I might give you a harmony part to it. It might be a melody you can put into a round. There might be some rhythmic ostinatos to go with it. But so you're not actually composing with pitch. Don't think composition is writing melodies based on a harmonic progression. That's for much later on. The first step in composition is structure. Yeah. So kids need to know how to put something together. You know, we don't, we don't give kids plastic and moulds and ask them to create the Lego brick. We just give them the Lego brick mm -hmm. and say do something with it. Yeah, and this is the same thing. I'm providing the pitch material, all the hard stuff to write. I'm, I'm giving that to, the, to them. They learn how to play it. It looks just like a method book kind of thing, easy to achieve as a band director. And then you stand back and say, okay, what can we do with it? Let's structure it. Let's put it together. Let's have the whole band play this four-measure melody. All right, that's called a tutti. 
All right, mm -hmm. now let's do a solely. In fact, all woodwinds, you're going to play that four measures and now whole band, you're going to play it again. Look, we've just composed something in ternary form. We've just composed with form. Okay, let's have the first tutti loud and the second tutti soft. Now we're composing with expressive techniques. Um, let's do something with a round and let's put it in a round in two or four parts. Now we're composing with texture. So we, we seem to think that we, we all, that composition is all about pitch and rhythm. Whereas I'm taking those out of the equation and inviting students to compose with the other elements first, such as structure and expressive techniques and timbre. You can teach a lot about voicings and orchestrations. And all of these things come back and feed them as performers. And all of these things make them feel just so much more confident as, as a performer and as a musician in your band class. Yeah, and not only that, but your resource is kind of debunking the taboo that kind of like surrounds composition. A lot of people mm -hmm. like to think that composition is this like super heady thing and it's so advanced yeah. and young students couldn't handle it. And you're actually like providing structure, like we're going to do this and now we're going to do this. And I think that's just so helpful because mm. as teachers and me personally, I was never taught how to compose a piece of music. I never had mm. to compose anything until I was yeah. in high school with like my private teacher. And he was like, okay, we're going to write something now. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, I never had to do that in my ensemble classes ever. And so I think it's a great resource for those teachers that are like me that never really had to do it themselves. So they don't really know how to teach it um, to provide them with, hey, this is how we're going to do this. And this is how we can make it approachable to kids and really let them explore and be creative and all these things that you're talking about getting off the podium. I love it. I love it. It's like, so yeah. it's like fueling my fire right now. I'm feeling amped. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'm so pleased. <laughs> There's so much shit. There's so much that you can do. There's so much more. Yeah. If you think about the context and the romance, you're, if, if what you're doing is putting a piece in front of them, telling your students how to play it, preparing it for a concert, and they just play it back to you, mm -hmm. you, you, um, you may as well be a mama bird who's got all the worms in your mouth and you've just put the worms into their mouth yeah. and then they're just going to spew them back at you. You know, yeah. is, is that really learning? Is that really getting them fascinated? Is that really in a really sparking the brain and connecting music to other parts of their life? I don't think so. We, we're not letting them fail. They need to be allowed to fail. They need to be allowed to say, oh, wow, we played that. Man, that was really bad you know, and laugh <laughs> and really laugh about it. Because then from then on, you don't have to tell them, you know, don't do that. It's going to sound bad. They're going to know. Yeah. You and know? It's, it's, it's great because it's also providing an approachable, like humanistic way of viewing music that it's not just like notation on a page and now I play it on my clarinet and now this is G, one, two, three, and now I'm gonna move to this note and now I'm gonna move, like it's providing a way for kids to understand music even further because they have been part of that creative process. So now that when they approach a new piece of music, they're also viewing it from a compositional standpoint, not just a essential sort of techniques on my instrument and mm. I hope I don't mess this up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think if if we I was just talking about this with someone earlier and just saying, you know, I've got this uh friend and she's um and her daughter is my daughter's best friend. Mm -hmm. And the two of them when they were little girls, you know, they used to dance and we would have dance recitals for us and they'd play music and they'd do these cute little dances and we'd all applaud and you know. And then that same little girl started dance classes. And then, we, you know, one night we're all dancing in the lounge room like you do when your kids are small or maybe even bigger. I don't know. I'm a parent who dances in the lounge room with my, with my children. And, um, and she was standing still. This same girl who was, you know, all this dancing was suddenly standing still. And I said, what are you doing? You know, what's going on? And she said, I'm trying to work out the time signature. <laughs> so... She, uh, because, you know, if it's a three, if it's a time signature and three, then I have to dance this way. And if it's a time signature and four, then I have to dance this way. Mm. And her creativity had been shut down because there was a right and a wrong way to move her body. Yeah. 
you know, we, we, we shouldn't be creating a right and a wrong way to explore music. It should just be, well, let's find the right way by going the wrong way every now and then. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And it's just giving the kids the freedom to be okay with whatever they're doing, right? Whether, yeah. whether it's great, whether it's terrible, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, it's you, it's what you're doing and it's how you're expressing yourself and that is okay. Yeah. And, you know, when, if you start to anybody out there listening and thinking, yes, I want to try this, you know, realize that to start off with, guess what? You're, you're going to go back into the state of the beginner as well. This is going to be a new approach for you. You're also probably going to take some wrong turns with it. You think, oh, gosh, I'd never teach it that way again or I wouldn't do it like that again. Next time I do it, I'd do it differently. Don't make that shut you down. Don't make yeah. you think... You know, don't think, I can't do this. Just think, no, this worked, this worked, this worked, but this didn't really work this way. You know, accept that that's your own growth. That's growth for you. And, gosh, we all need to keep growing as teachers. Otherwise, we just become that stale, grumpy, you know, person <laughs> that none of us want to become. So, you know, it's, it's okay. And, and I, I say to my students, hey, I'm trying something new today. I've actually never taught this before. I'm trying something brand new. If at some point in the lesson I put my hand up and go, this isn't working, let's try something else, just, just go with me. And they all go, oh, yeah. And then they are so relaxed. It just relaxes them. Yeah. It provides this relaxed environment to say hey wow she she's not an expert in everything she's actually learning something too your teacher's a human too what yeah 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 that's right and yeah. it's great for us to show that it's great yeah. for us to demonstrate that yeah I completely agree and you are showing that side of you as well um, on your website because I love how instead of a contact me page you have a coffee <laughs> <laughs> and so if anybody is interested in having Jody come and talk to your students um, or Skype or you know just if you have any questions for her about anything that we've talked about today about her compositions about this creative learning process anything that um, we have we have discussed and you would like to reach out to her um, she does have that ability to contact her on her website um, if you're interested in a commission or something like that feel free to talk to her as well I just I love your website because it's just so interactive and has so many resources so everybody should check it out if, let alone just for the list of amazing composers that you have oh that's great I'm so pleased that that's how you find the the, the website that was the goal was that yes. it, it, it yeah it would be interactive and that you would feel like you've come away and you've really gained something from it yeah yeah absolutely so I want to thank you so much for coming on for talking with us for sharing your stories for talking about all the topics that you're super passionate about it was mm -hmm. it was really great talking with you and connecting with you oh thank you so much for having me on it's it's lovely to hear your passion and your energy <laughs> it fills me with joy it really does thank you so much yeah.